Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. And your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Pet. People have their opinion. What other falsehoods are out there? A lot of the perception things about us. Are players buying in, Jim? I, yes. Fair enough. Rebuilds are difficult. Sometimes it takes years and years. I still believe, given a a really good offseason with this draft pick that we have coming and with our ability to to get some veteran players in here alongside these young guys, we we can make a substantial leap. Kick back. Relax. Locked on Bulls starts now. My job is to prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. And these guys are men. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, streaming live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line. We do mailbag every single Wednesday, so that means tomorrow's episode. If you want to drop us a voicemail or a text message, getting closer to the NBA draft, we'd love to hear from you. So 331-979-1369. Make it even easier on you. Save that number in your phone right now as Locked On Bulls so you can hit us up anytime. Once again, 331-979-1369. I want to thank all of our sponsors on today's episode, including last week, and that includes Hotels.com, Untuck It, and Grip Six Belts. Hotels.com, don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com, be there, do that, get rewarded. Matt, welcome back from the holiday weekend. Didn't do an episode yesterday, figured give everybody a day off from Bulls news and Bulls content to kind of just enjoy the holiday. But how was your holiday weekend and how you doing? What's up, Jordan? What's up, Bulls Nation? Glad to be back. Uh, had a great Memorial Day weekend. Actually, uh, a lifelong friend uh, got married uh, over the weekend. So we had the whole crew together for the first time in a few years. People flying in from all over the country. So uh, a very fun weekend, very exhausting weekend. And, uh, you know, in the uh, in the immortal words of Danny Glover, getting too old for this shit. Uh, we partied hard, <laughs> and I am paying the price uh, to start this week. But here's a question for you, Jordan. Uh, we've done some uh, some fun, you know, anniversary dates and on this date in NBA history stuff recently because there's all sorts of good ones as you're making your way through the the playoff part of the NBA calendar. Five years ago today. Uh, a pretty epic viral thing happened between two former rivals that this past season were actually teammates. Eastern Conference Finals. You know what it is? Hmm. Five years ago. It's 2014. Hmm. No, I don't. I'm trying to think and I can't think of it. My brain is just... It's swollen at this point. What is it? One of I'm the, trying to think. One of the greatest meme creators in NBA content history over the last several years. And a patience, including this, flowing in the ear of LeBron James. And James' reaction, <laughs> he, can't, he can't believe it. Lance Stevenson blowing in LeBron's ear. Oh, yes. <laughs> Five years ago today. Wow. Holy crap. I can't believe that happened five years ago. And they were teammates this year. 
that. Oh, my God. The NBA is so great. That is ridiculous. Man, dang, five years ago. That's crazy. It felt I like know, that was right? yesterday. I know. That's the crazy part. When I saw that uh, in my feed this morning, that was five years ago. I was like, damn. Like, LeBron was still on the heat, and the Pacers were content, like real contenders only five years ago. So much has happened since then. <laughs> like you said, that was like one of the biggest viral memes ever. Like people even in sports were using it and had no idea what the context or the clues were from that. I think that is just ridiculous. If you had to put a Mount Rushmore of NBA memes up, I feel like that one has to be on there, right? Oh, absolutely. And that all the different ways funny. that people adapted it. Uh, and just use the picture of him blowing to, to like create content for other sports things that happened or LeBron James eye roll. Oh, my God. All of it was just so good. How many of those memes across four? So if you're on the Mount Rushmore, how many of those memes do you think include LeBron? At least two of them have to, right? The one from the NBA Finals, two just this past year uh, with J.R. Smith. Oh, where he was pointing at or where he was looking at J.R. <laughs> yes. with the hand gesture yep. after J.R. pulled that totally boneheaded move. <laughs> That's definitely up there. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that those two are probably... I mean, Mount Rushmore stats, like, that's tough. But then I, I guess some people take old NBA stuff and make memes out of it. That's true, There was a whole lot of NBA history that happened before, like, meme culture and NBA social media and, and, and things like that. But certainly LeBron has had a couple of those moments that are that are up there as far as, like, the, the most viral, the most used, the most, uh, the most joked well, about. Well, that's awesome. Five-year anniversary of that, and they were teammates. That is just absolutely wild. Let's uh, let's kick the show off, though. Besides just memes and all of that, let's kick the show off with some Bulls news here. We didn't get to this last week, Matt, but uh, to my surprise and actually to my shock, Pete Myers no longer a coach for the Bulls. He's stepping down. Seems like he wants to take some time away to be a father and also be a full-time husband, which good for him. Like, man, if if this has been if it's been long enough and it seems like he kind of wants to coach again, it's what from what I was reading, uh he just wants to take some time off. Uh he just he has a fairly young child, right? Like two or three years old. And also he's having another one, I believe. So yeah, going to spend some time being a full-time dad. Were you shocked at all to hear that uh, Pete Myers was out? I mean, sh- yeah. I mean, shocked in that I it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and no one was a- uh, anticipating this. And we hadn't heard much about Pete Myers personal life because he's just an assistant coach and really we don't know that much about Jim Boylan's personal life some of the players with their social media uh, accounts uh, you know across various platforms kind of volunteer some more of that information but when it comes to guys on a coaching staff like you know I, I did not know those things about Pete Myers and his life and the fact that you know he had recently uh, become a father to a, to a new baby and and that was the reason for his stepping down certainly would have without knowing that assumed Myers would continue on uh because you know I think he was a big supporter of Jim Boylan and Boylan credited Pete Myers several times speaking with the media this season about how Myers helped him in that transitionary period when he took over for Fred Hoiberg and among the many people that are you know Chicago Bulls organization ride or die loyalty for life in the same way that we kind of talk about like John Paxson Pete Myers 
player and then there and then after being a player he did bounce around to a couple NBA teams uh, as an assistant but even back in the day in like the the mid 2000s early 2000s he was on this staff he filled in as an interim coach on a couple of occasions and everything we heard was that we assumed he would be on this staff again next season so you know I'm, I'm glad that it's uh for whatever you know as as far as what if what we heard was correct and accurate and there's no other story to this it's just him stepping down to take time to be with his family then good for him and, and i have no issue with it and hopefully the bulls will uh you know <laughs> find uh find a new person to add to the staff after a What's that phrase? <laughs> Coaching search? Well, Jim Boylan, I have to give him some credit. Is He's done a pretty decent job of trying to go after like top names for his staff. And at least he's landed one this summer, too. And uh, Chris Fleming. like I really think Chris Fleming is going to have a good impact on this basketball team. And I'm very, very, very surprised he decided to leave the Nets and come to the Bulls. But... Uh, he was promoted, though, at, at least now he's the top assistant on that Bulls staff where Pete Myers was. Um, it sounds like just from Casey Johnson's uh, article is that this is a different scenario than the Randy Brown situation that happened in December. Randy Brown was reassigned on the bench and he was like, you know what, F this, I'm out of here, see you guys later. It doesn't sound like that's the uh, angle from Pete Myers. He was totally accepting of Chris Fleming taking over the the lead assistant role. So uh, it could just be that he wants to spend some time as a father. I mean, he spent 16 years with this Bulls team, three as a player, 13 as a, as a scout and an assistant coach. So, And it sounds like, too, if Pete Myers wants to get back into coaching, uh, there will probably be a job available for him somewhere in the Bulls organization. Yeah, I, I would absolutely assume the same. And even from the report we got from Casey Johnson announcing this move it certainly seemed like Pete Myers is open to the idea of coming back and and, you know resuming his coaching career at some point in the future but that as of right now he just wants to be a dad who can help out and be around more frequently because I mean uh, you know for a lot of these people on NBA coaching staff you know for the most part if they do have kids they are older grown in college or adults and already on their way some of them who are younger probably have to deal with the fact that they're a traveling NBA coach and raising kids which I'm sure can't be easy I'm sure it takes a toll on the family and I'm sure it's not easy for for the parents who are you know on this crazy um you know this tra- crazy travel schedule I certainly would want to do it if I were a parent so credit to those who do but um you know, Pete Myers has had a, a long, successful career as an assistant coach in the NBA, and if he wants to come back at some point, you know, I'm, I'm sure the Bulls would welcome him back, uh, regardless of who is sitting in the head coaching chair. The one thing that's interesting to me now that uh, Pete Myers is out, we're also hearing some other decisions being made across the league that could impact the Bulls, one being associate head coach of the Houston Rockets, who the Bulls have already reached out to, and this was about a week ago or so, Jeff Bizdelic, he was actually a guy that the Houston Rockets liked a lot, but made some changes. And it seems like there's some changes, too, that might affect Mike D'Antoni's job, which we can get into that in a second. But as far as the associate head coach job goes, the Bulls have already reached out to him. And from what I'm reading is he's known as a... You know, with quotes in the air, of course, because we hear this term a lot, a defensive guru. So 
Maybe he'll join Boylan staff. Here's a connection for you. He went to the University of Illinois at Chicago, and Jeff uh, Bizdelic is 66 years old. So there's a couple connections there. The University of Chicago one's the best one. So maybe maybe he'll be intrigued to join Boylan staff as well. Yeah, and uh, the you know the word we got earlier on that the Bulls were looking to get that uh, Texas Tech uh, assistant coach. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Adams, right? Um, that uh, who opted to stay with Texas Tech, which is a bummer because you know based on what we saw Texas Tech achieve when nobody really saw them as a real threat this year, that was you know that was really impressive, and he is a guy whose defensive mind uh, is greatly admired by Boylan as far as we've heard. So I liked the Fleming hire. Um, I, I'm hoping that he can add to the staff and maybe expand Jim Boylan's mind a little bit when it comes to the offensive creativity of what we'll see with the uh, 1920 Chicago Bulls. Um, and again, some of that will be dictated by some of the, the roster uh, you know, places being filled out and hopefully he- having a healthy roster. But um, yeah, I, you, you just hope that the Bulls you know, uh, explore all possible avenues because uh, there are a lot of people that had been on the staff for a long time. That, and you know, again, like I kind of forgot about it until it was mentioned in that Casey piece, but the whole drama of Randy Brown leaving the staff because when they made the Fred to Jim change, the Bulls wanted him to kind of change roles. Um, in fact, maybe having a lesser role. And Randy, who had been you know with the team for a long, long time, was not cool with that. Uh, so you know, if, if that's an example of someone who's been a Bulls lifer, player, coach, some you know at, at some point in some way always involved within the organization, leaving the team, you hope you use that as an opportunity to bring in some fresh blood, which they have done with Fleming. And, it, you know, sad to see Pete Myers go because by and large, a very well-respected guy among his colleagues, but also players. You know, everything I've heard is the players love Pete Myers as a coach. So um, hope, you know, hope all the best for him and his family. And, and I, as a Bulls fan, really hope that the Bulls just try to try to do something new when they're when they're filling out Boylan's staff. Well, at least they did something new with Chris Fleming, and this, if they do decide to hire Jeff uh, Bizdelic, this probably won't be new, considering I'm just looking at some of his history. So he grew up in Chicago. He was born in Chicago, Illinois. He went to the went to Mount Prospect High School. He went to UIC, like I had mentioned, in college, 72 to 76. He was an assistant at Davidson and Northwestern. He was an assistant at Northwestern in the 80s for six years. Then he went on to be the UMBC head coach. He was an assistant with the Washington Bullets. Uh, he was a scout with the Knicks. He was an assistant with the Heat, a scout with the Nuggets. Then he was the Nuggets head coach for uh, between 2002 and 2004. Then he coached Air Force, Colorado, and Wake Forest all in a matter of about 10 years. And then now over the last three seasons, he's been the Grizzlies assistant coach and the Rockets assistant coach. So he's been around and he's been in a bunch of different organizations and a bunch of levels of basketball throughout his career. I mean, we're talking about a coaching career, 35 plus years. So that's pretty crazy. So he might be on the Bulls radar. So we'll keep an eye out out for him. Um, But yeah, definitely, definitely about Pete Myers. 
Sad to see him go. Some Bulls fans probably not like to see some fresh faces in there. But regardless, I have to give Jim Boylan at least a little bit of credit for shaking th- some things up. Uh, the other thing, Matt, that I had real quick, if I don't know if you saw this from Casey Johnson or not. So I don't know if you saw this. This was two days ago from Casey Johnson. Uh, this was shortly after the playoffs had uh, at least the conference finals had ended completely. But this is from Casey Johnson. Nick Nurse, former Bulls D-League affiliate coach and lead assistant Adrian Griffin, former Bull player and assistant coach, are both NBA Finals bound. So we have some former Bulls associates and uh, connections headed to the NBA Finals this year. But I just found that kind of funny. Not to mention Ron Adams, Steve Kerr's most trusted advisor and assistant coach who was on Tom Thibodeau's staff, who... You know, Tom Thibodeau loved when the Bulls essentially had a beef with Adams uh, because, you know, for the most part, it sounded like Adams was backing up Tibbs when front office wanted to get more involved and Tibbs told them to mind their own fucking business. Uh, Adams wouldn't, uh, you know, Adams wouldn't turn on Tibbs and stay loyal to Tibbs as opposed to, you know, being loyal to the front office. So he and Gar got into some kind of dispute and then the Bulls just ousted Ron Adams. And I remember from a, a from a Casey Johnson piece, a quote saying uh, from Ron Adams, you know, if Gart was trying to hurt me and my family's feelings, he succeeded. People forgot about that. Uh, it wasn't just, oh, he used to be a coach here. Now he's not. The Adams departure was pretty contentious. And man, you I mean, imagine how happy Ron Adams must be and how how often he's thinking to himself, man, thank you, Gar Foreman for kicking me out of town because I'm, you know, I'm an assistant coach. I'm a top assistant coach, Steve Kerr, probably a very great guy to work with and coach underneath. And I'm just winning titles all over the place and not dealing with that bullshit anymore. Yeah. I, I figure we had to update people on some of the coaching moves and some of the staff moves uh, that are going to happen around the NBA. The only thing that to me, and you know, this was a discussion that was talked about a little bit on Twitter is the fact that the Bulls gave Jim Boylan his extension so early because you don't really know what coaches are going to are going to become available throughout the summer. And I know they want to kind of get something done uh, sooner rather than later. And everything that we heard from the press conferences was pushing towards that. But now, like Mike D'Antoni might be on his way out in Houston, or at least this is what some people are are suggesting with Daryl Morey making some moves from his coaching staff. So, I mean, if, if a guy like Mike D'Antoni was available, I would be I would be pretty frustrated the fact that we just gave an extension to Jim Boyle and when one of the top coaches in the NBA over the last decade or so is now potentially going to come available if that were to happen. Um, so that's a little bit disappointing. Which is why, you know, as I think we were saying on a previous podcast, when shortly after that Boylan extension was announced, that like, that I don't, unless they just wanted to make sure Boylan knows that they, that, you know, he has their full support. Like, what was the rush? Right. Even if you don't, if you, even if you say we want to extend Jim or we plan to extend Jim and we want to get this done before next season starts, that's fine. Do you still have all summer? And in the time that some of these coaches are moving around, moving on, becoming available and getting snatched up so quickly, like what maybe, you know, maybe they just were afraid that that they would avoid offend Boylan and put out the the vibe or, you know, the rumor that they don't fully support him if instead of signing him to that extension right away, they kind of flirted with some other opportunities and some other options, which as a fan, you want them to do that due diligence and you want them to be thorough. And if there is someone better than Boylan, then go talk to those people. 
But, you know, so, so I think that's why as fans we were frustrated that that extension happened so quickly when it didn't necessarily need to. But, you know, I, I think I can kind of understand the Bulls' reasons for doing so. It's just disappointing. Definitely agree. So we'll keep our eye on that. Nothing's official yet, but that's kind of the rumor going around that with Daryl Morey making some of these moves that maybe they're looking to push Mike D'Antonio out. So we'll keep our eyes on that. But let's hit to the playoffs a little bit. We haven't talked too much about the NBA playoffs in general. Now that we have it set, Toronto Raptors and the Golden State Warriors. Matt, what do you think about this? And anybody that stood out out to you on either one of these teams in terms of series and also too we can get into some of the Bucks things uh, but overall what do you think about this NBA Finals matchup and do you think the biggest question here is do you think the Toronto Raptors have a chance against this Golden State Warriors team um simply put no no I think the Warriors are going to win the the Raptors might win a game maybe two but I don't see this series going past five games um and I you know and I say that even knowing that it's unlikely we'll see Kevin Durant in this series, and even if we do see Boogie, just how effective he might be after a long absence. Um, I just think the Warriors are a class above everyone still. I'm excited that we get a different finals, and it's not just LeBron and his cast, you know, cast-off teammates versus the Warriors for the fifth straight year, because that would be boring. And it, and it has been really fun watching Kawhi in these playoffs. Um, and he got the better of Giannis in those conference finals when I think a lot of people were, were looking for the Bucks to to get all the way to the finals um, because of just how dominant Giannis was and people talking about Giannis being the MVP and, and not Kawhi, but Kawhi's a guy who has won a finals and been the best player of a final series before. So I think people kind of overlooked that and were like surprised, but also just reminded themselves of how good Kawhi and how good playoffs Kawhi can be when he's healthy. But I think even with that, the Warriors just have too much firepower. I would definitely agree with that. I mean, Think about it, too. Even if they close off, even if Kevin Durant doesn't play at 100%, they close off Kevin Durant. You still got Steph Curry, Draymond Green, who is shown out in these playoffs, which is absolutely crazy to me. Gotten himself into shape and played like one of the best players on the floor and throughout this entire playoff. So between Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry, you still have three really, really good options to go to uh, besides Kevin Durant. You look at Look at how that Warriors team plays without him. Some ridiculous stat. What was it like? Thirty-three and one. The Warriors are when KD doesn't play and Steph does play. Like that is just absolutely as absurd. And the fact too that you're going to add Kevin Durant probably back for this final series. To me, it's just like good job for the war. Good job for the Raptors. Way to get over that hump. And finally, with no LeBron in the Eastern Conference, you actually set out and establish that goal. So I think the Raptors should be in this scenario where they're like, you know what? We're just happy to be here. And if we make this a series, then it'll be icing on the cake. But we're just happy to be here. Well, and I think that more so than who wins this series, the big impact is, as you were just saying, you know, LeBron's in the West. We have a new champion of the east and even if they don't beat the warriors this time does the fact that they just got past jimmy and Embiid and simmons and the sixers and they got past Giannis and the bucks does this does i mean does it seriously alter Kawhi's plans this summer to say well you know we, we didn't get the warriors this time but you know, even if they stay together and come back, well, you know, we can we can get back to this point and 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 go at them again next year. Maybe tweak the roster a little bit, but you know, they they have a really solid team around Kawhi right now. 
I feel like you know one of their bigger problems is inconsistency of some of their other role players. You know, is Kyle Lowry going to have a bust night, or is Kyle Lowry going to be you know regular season All Star Kyle Lowry? Same thing with Pascal Siakam as he's become a much uh, you know more important player in the NBA. You know, Fred Van Vliet, Danny Green, like they have these complimentary pieces around Kawhi that when they're good, the Raptors are really hard to beat. So Kawhi might look at that and say, LeBron is in the West now and the Lakers are a mess, but you still have the Warriors, you still have the Rockets, you, you have the up-and-coming up Denver Nuggets. You know that as long as Pop is around, his Spurs are always going to be a threat. And in the East, yeah, the, the Bucks are tough and the Pacers are getting Oladipo back next year and... You know, the Sixers probably aren't going away and the, and the Celtics might figure some shit out and, and be back and, and better, you know, whether regardless of what happens with Kyrie, they have these young pieces. They'll be back. They're going to be nipping at our heels. But we're still the beasts of the East. We won. And Kawhi can say, man, if do I really want so badly to go play in the West, you know, on the West Coast and like go play for the Clippers? Because I, you know, I don't think he really wants to play with LeBron. Maybe he does. You know, we've heard that he and Jimmy have at least talked to LeBron's camp, or there's been some kind of like mild level tampering going on there already. But why? Why would Kawhi not just say, you know what, Toronto is actually a pretty cool city. If I stay here and keep this team on top of the conference and bring them a title, man, like that's that's not a terrible option. For Kawhi this summer, even if they don't win these finals, that's what I thought too. And then now I was listening to a bunch of really established people in the NBA talk about Kawhi Leonard, and I guess I always felt like, especially because of what Paul George did last year, and maybe that's just an outlier. Maybe you know everybody was so banking on so much banking on Paul George pretty much being a, a Laker last summer. Like, you know what? No, Paul George is, oh, we're already going to slot him in. He's going to be a Laker. That's what's going to happen. And then he turned around and signed the extension with OKC. And now I don't know if I should convince myself that that's an outlier in terms of some of these star players and staying with the the team that traded for him for a year, or if that's just, or if that's just the way that the NBA is going to trend now is guys, teams take a chance on a guy for a year, trade some assets, and then things start to work out a little bit better. And they like staying where they're at. I don't know if that's what Kawhi is looking to do, but it sounds like from everybody else, everybody else is pretty much on board with the fact that Kawhi is not going to stay in Toronto this summer and not going to sign an extension. He's going to go somewhere else, which I was like, man, really after everything, like getting the Toronto over that hump and getting him to the finals, making that ridiculous shot against the 76ers, like just all of these little things to me, I was like, I don't know if I would guarantee Kawhi leaving, but now hearing everybody else, I'm kind of convincing myself out of that fact, but that would totally destroy the Raptors. Like they would have to completely rebuild at that point, right? Yeah, which, you know, I, and I think that they knew that when they made the gamble to trade for Kawhi. Um, because a lot of people were really upset. Like, dude, you know, DeRozan is the, you know, he is the guy. As much as Kyle Lowry, if not more so, like he is Toronto Raptors basketball. And, uh, you know, it it uh, it upset and shook a lot of people within the organization and the fan base when they made that move, and it was risky. But I think that they did so knowing that, like, all right, well, we're going to bring in Kawhi for a year. Kawhi went healthy, and we're banking on him being healthy is a better player than DeMar DeRozan, hands down. I think I think there's no debating that anymore, if there ever was. 
And I think the only reason people debated it is because Kawhi hadn't really had a, a, a you know, a healthy dominant stretch of basketball recently when that trade happened. Um, but, you know, they did that and then they brought in Gasol. Um, you know, like they, they they threw everything at making this team a contender this year. And I think they did so knowing that the goal was to maybe not win it all, but win the East and show Kawhi, look, if you stay here and re-sign with us, we're the best team in the East. Now that LeBron is gone, we can be the team that's going to the conference finals every year and maybe going to the finals every year. We're your best shot at a winner right now with the way that the NBA landscape is. And if we do all of that and Kawhi still says, thanks for this one year, but no thanks, I'm going to dip, then you do you know when you made that trade that, the, that there was risk involved and that if that scenario plays out, you start over. What's crazy to me is I'm looking at the Raptors' salary right now and like in terms of where they're going to be at and who's still signed long-term. Legitimately, they have three players under contract in 2020-2021. Next season is really the last opportunity this Raptors hand, this Raptors team can run it back with the same exact team that they have. Serge Ibaka's off his contract after next season. Marcus is going to pick up his $25.5 million player option. I can guarantee you that. Uh, so you got all of these guys. Kawhi, obviously, maybe he signs a one-year deal. This is where I'm getting to is maybe Kawhi says, you know what, I'm not totally sold on these other two, three, four teams that are out there right now trying to build another team. Maybe I stay another year and see what happens. Um, but yeah, everybody, legitimately everybody on this team that's important to this Raptors squad is is off their contracts free agents at twenty after 2019-2020. Like, I'm even talking Fred Van Vliet, um, talking Serge Ibaka, Kyle Lowry, Marcus Saul. Um, the only people that are left are Pascal Siakam on his rookie deal, OG Ananobi, and Norman Powell. So those are the only three guys that are under contract after next year's season's over. So maybe Kawhi looks at that and says, you know what, maybe I'm not completely sold on signing a long-term deal. Maybe I'll sign a one-year deal with the Raptors. So, I mean, that's not completely out the window yet either. But if I'm Toronto, I would be a little bit scared and hope we win the finals this season. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of like that's their their be-all, end-all plan right now. Um, and I just, you know, I, if I'm Kawhi, does like maybe teaming up with another free agent star in L.A., not LeBron, but like getting another star to go join him with the Clippers, maybe Jimmy, maybe... I mean, I don't. I don't think KD's a, a realistic option, um, and I don't think anybody believes that Clay is leaving. But you know, I mean, Kyrie. Uh, I don't know. I you know, I even doing that, I don't see any of those being a better option, any more fruitful option than staying in Toronto. Right. So that'll be a big decision for him to make, and I think that'll shift things too in terms of if the Raptors are looking to blow it up. Like Kyle Lowry is going to be up there and uh, available. So. Obviously, only being on a one-year deal, I don't see a possibility where the Bulls trade for him. Like That would be just kind of ridiculous. But he can play into those factors of those other teams looking to, to trade for Mike Conley. I think there would be some competition there. So, I don't know. Real quick, what do you think about Kyle Lowry if the Bulls were... It, it, would you think the Bulls would entertain an idea of trading for Kyle Lowry if Kawhi decided not to sign with the Raptors? Again, he's only on a one-year deal, and it's at $33 million. So you'd get him for one year, and maybe if he things worked out, you could re-sign him for less money beyond that. But um, in terms of trading for point guards, like this, I feel like you would, wouldn't have to give up all that much just because he's on a one-year deal. But... 
Uh, in terms of timeline, I don't know if this would necessarily work, but I got to ask. I mean, I think I think Kyle Lowry's stock has fallen recently. I think there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, w- we talk about him shrinking in the big playoff moments all the time, and now he's got a new teammate, Kawhi, who rises to the occasion in those big playoff moments. Um, and, and in some ways, it's heightening the criticism of Kyle Lowry, and in some ways, it's kind of glossing it over and giving him a pass. As far as if I were the Bulls and would I entertain a trade to bring in Kyle for one year as like, you know, a veteran point guard who can next year probably elevate this team in a significant way at that position compared to, say, some of the other options that we that Jordan, you and I have been talking about over the last few weeks since the season ended. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't love the idea. I also don't hate it, but to me, the problem then becomes, what do you do after that right. one year? That's been my biggest sticking issue yeah. is like, even I know the Bulls wouldn't have to give up any of their main pieces in order to get Kyle Lowry. And I'm talking Levine, Market, and Carter. That to me would be just a complete immediate hang up of the phone. But if they're only looking for maybe a future first round or maybe some of these supplemental pieces and a first round pick. I mean, I would at least entertain the idea, and that's if you can get Kyle Lowry to stay just beyond one year, and if things do work out. Like you said, too, though, like I feel like his stock has dropped, which is which is kind of absurd to me, right? Kyle Lowry has made five, five NBA All-Star teams in a row now. Five. That, that, to me, is crazy, and I get like some of its fan voting and all of that, but still... Still pretty productive, and I mean, a down year this year in terms of, if you want to call it a down year, but over the last four, three or four seasons, he shot over 40% from three on seven, seven and a half attempts, which is ridiculous, which the Bulls need so badly. His assists are at a ridiculous number, too. This season, he had 8.7, he averaged 8.7 assists in a game, so I mean, I wouldn't say completely no to it at this point just because it's a one-year deal. But I would want to know what you're giving up for him and if this would be a solution where you could turn it into a long-term solution. Like, he is a veteran guy that you're kind of looking for, but that would all have to happen if Kawhi decides to leave Toronto, which the Bulls would have to kind of wait around and find out. And you won't find that out until probably the middle of June, early July. So it's an idea. It's it's an idea, at least. Um, let's shift to another point guard though that that might be impacted by free eight or might be impacted by these playoffs let's talk about Malcolm Brogdon really fast Matt so the Bucks not making it to the NBA finals obviously a big disappointment for Milwaukee but do you think this shifts the focus of Milwaukee and where they're going to spend their money this offseason and how likely do you think they're going to how likely do you think it is that Malcolm Brogdon re-signs with Milwaukee if he's asking prices somewhere north of 13 or 15 million a year yeah I mean that's like you know, as you were saying earlier with regard to timeline and what happens and which dominoes fall, it's kind of like, you know, every year there's the top dominoes that kind of set off all the reactionary other dominoes that fall as NBA free agency stuff gets underway. I think this year it's pretty obviously Kevin Durant because there's some serious speculation that he's out in Golden State. And then it's where is Kevin Durant going? And then when when that is figured out, then the other pieces fall. Kyrie, Kawhi, um, and the likes of those, and then also um, several tiers below that are you know players who are not stars but very important role players who are in their prime, uh, who could be seeing a pretty big payday, and one of them is Malcolm Brogdon. And now, I mean, 
as far as the the Bucks falling short, yeah, I'm sure that Giannis and, and that team are frustrated, and especially considering, you know, they, I think they were for the most part, people would say the favorite, um, because they had the MVP. Now, obviously, everybody talks about the fact that you know you have the Chris Middleton factor, and you got to pay that guy, and you know. Where do they put in their series of, all right, this is priority 1A, this is priority 1B, this is priority 2, this is priority 3. I think the reason that people think that as a restricted free agent, Brogdon could actually, you know, sneak out or, or you know, or, or the Bucks might lose him is that he's just not very high on their priority list. Because, um, man, I mean, like, sometimes I forget that they signed Bledsoe to that big freaking deal. He's making nearly twenty million for them in twenty twenty two twenty three, so that definitely hamstrings them a bit. Between that and figuring out what they need to do with Chris Middleton, what's crazy too is that Eric Bledsoe, when he signed that deal, we said, "Hey, maybe that's actually a bargain." He's played really good this mm-hmm. season, and then all of a sudden in the playoffs, it's like, "What the hell happened to Eric Bledsoe? What is this? Right. Who is this? Yeah. This is the guy we signed to seventy million dollars. Like, what the f is this?" I think you're right on that. And also, too, they have to pay George Hill next season right. $18 million. It's not fully guaranteed, uh, but I think most of it so is. So you got to pay two point guards $30 million next season, and one's going to be there for four years, Eric Bledsoe. The other, mm, you can do without, I mean, George Hill another year, but I don't know. It's going to be tough for the Bucs. And also, too, like people are talking about Giannis. They also have to pay Tony Snell th- $11.4 million. That's Able to hit. Can you say every highlight show? That'll wake this crowd up. That's waking the bitch up. Dance, whatever you want to say. No man is an island. All that good Which stuff. Which is hilarious. Oh, he made is that, be- is that better or worse than Felicio's contract? Felicio late getting in. I don't oh. know. Shot up, no, but a foul. What was Felicio doing? I'm not sure. No, oh, that's better than Felicio's I contract. I think it's better. I think it's better. Oh, man. But, yeah, they're going to have to make some decisions. I like The Bucks can re-sign him if they can match an offer sheet and be able to sign him and go into the luxury tax. Just Is that something you're going to want to do? And is Giannis going to stick around long term? Like He's still got two years left on right. his deal, but after that. He's got two years, 25.8 next year, 27.5 the year after that. And then that's when the Bucks have to, you know, like hopefully not panic and convince him to stay. Um obviously going to be qualifying for the Supermax um, with his All-NBA appointment uh, just last week. He, I mean, he's convincing him to stay is everything. So do the Bucks value Mal- Malcolm Brogdon so much as a complimentary piece to the Bucks actually being a championship contending team? And are they not swayed of that opinion if that's the, the opinion they held after having lost in the conference finals? So to me, it's like that's the decision that the Bucks have to face. Do they try and go out and bring in other talent that will be on the market this year to upgrade, or do that they think what they have this year and the way that you know most people are picking uh, Budenholzer to be coach of the year, and they have the right pieces and they have the right players, they just they didn't execute the right way, and you know you could say that like they just kind of choked away a two zero lead. Um, you know, some of it was the Raptors kind of like out. You know, I, I think as much as people didn't really expect it to happen, Nick Nurse kind of outcoached Budenholzer uh, as that series wore on, and Kawhi asserted his dominance as opposed to Giannis asserting his. But 
maybe the Bucks don't feel like they have to change all that much. They just have to bring back what they have, and they could actually be the number one seed again, get to the fi- conference finals again, win it this time, regardless of who's there that they're facing, and that will be enough to convince Giannis to stay. But I don't know enough about what the Bucks' thought process is after having lost, you know, one step short of the finals as far as what they need to do to convince Giannis to stay. Because as far as all the money they commit and all the money they spend and the roster moves they make, all of it needs to be geared towards convincing Giannis to stay. That Like, that is bottom line their top priority. So how do they go about doing that when it comes to the other pieces on the roster? Yeah, and I think what surprises me, too, is the fact that the way Toronto played Milwaukee, like... Giannis went in there and said, you know what, this this has been pretty easy all season long. I can just drive the basket, kick out to other shooters, and those shooters will knock down the shots. And then all of a sudden when the Raptors clamp down and all of a sudden your shooters around you aren't making shots, it's been pretty damn difficult for Giannis. Yeah, and and that defense has a lot of length. So when when the Bucs, you know, couldn't... uh, couldn't get the penetration they they want and need and were resorting to hoping some of their role players were knocking down their shots and they didn't which by the way man how brutal was Nico Miritich yeah he was bad throughout this entire playoff ghosted hey y'all remember playoff Nico (laughs) yeah (laughs) I had to laugh too the Milwaukee Bucks fans who were angry at Nico Miritich I mean the dude shot 37.6 percent from the field in the playoffs and he shot 28.9 percent from three I mean that's that's not going to cut it. That ain't going to get it done. 9.5 points per game when you were brought in to be another shooter, another length, and then you completely disappear in the playoffs. Not great. And also, too, Eric Bledsoe shot 41.1% from the field, 23.6% from three. Awful. Brooke Lopez, 29.3% on five attempts from three. 29.3% when a guy you thought was going to be able to knock down consistent threes when Giannis is double or triple teamed. So they're going to have some decisions to make here. Chris Middleton was about the only guy that they could really rely on, and he didn't even shoot that well. He shot 41.8% in the playoffs. So they're going to they're gonna have some decision-making to make. But in terms of how this impacts the Bulls, how much money would you be willing to go to if you were the Bulls, if you were John Paxson or Gar Foreman making these decisions, how much money are you willing to offer Malcolm Brogdon to steal him away from the Milwaukee Bucks? Well, the money that I'd be offering annually, I could go for Malcolm Brogdon as high as $15 million per. I don't want to spend all 21 or so in cap space the Bulls have on one player. I think they need more uh, you know, depth on this roster and more upgrades from the G League stuff we saw in March and April. But I think, you know, I, I think Brogdon would be worth that. But here's the kicker, and it's something I kind of talked about on Friday's solo show. I would only want it to be for two years, which, you know, which might be a deal breaker for Brogdon if he's looking for a long-term, you know, three-year deal, four-year deal kind of payday. Because this is, you know, as... He's, what, 26 years old, going on 27. His Not his last opportunity for a big payday, but certainly, you know, maybe second to last as far as a player into entering his prime in his prime worth the most money uh, in the traje- trajectory of his career. So maybe Brogdon doesn't want only two years. Maybe he wants more. Maybe he wants the flexibility of a shorter deal and being able to move on again in free agency and, and uh, another opportunity for a big payday just two years down the road. But to me, it's all about the Bulls in 2021. 
when the auto deal comes off the books, when the Felicio contract comes off the books, hopefully Markkinen, Levine, Wendell have taken two seasons of mostly healthy basketball to take some strides, look like maybe an up-and-coming contender, at least a play up-and-coming playoff team that could be a destination for big-name stars in 21, including potentially the cap space option of offering two max deals. And I wouldn't necessarily want a Brogdon contract that lasted longer than two years to interfere with. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much with you. That's the only thing that I get stuck up on is, is I think Brogdon's going to look for four years, right? I think that's the, that's where he's looking at because, like you said, this is his first opportunity in free agency, and he's still a restricted free agent. This is, might be his first and last opportunity. If he signs a four year deal, he's going to be 31 when he's a free agent again. So by the time you're 31, man, you can still get paid, but it's going to be on shorter term deals, and you might have to go to places that you don't necessarily necessarily want to go to so I it's a big decision for the not only the Bucks but also what Malcolm Brogdon wants to do I think he would be a great fit with this team I just don't he's not the type of guy that's going to put push the Bulls over the edge though like in terms of this is going to accelerate the rebuild completely he's a great player but he's not the the all-star type that's going to take you over to the top and I think that's where I just get so caught up with yes I would love him on this Bulls team but how far? Well, like, where does that does that push your ceiling higher than it would be without signing him? And are there other guys that can get you to that equivalent fact without having to unload a bunch of money? Like, kind of like what you were saying, signing him to a two year deal. So I don't know. That's where I guess I I'm glad I'm not the GM or the the person that's making these decisions because it's difficult in terms of what you think your ceiling is, how much you're willing to pay guys, and also to their age and their timeline. So like you had mentioned though, that things that worries me though. If you sign him to four years, he's not off the books until 31. So like I said, you know, it's it's to me it's not about how much money they spend on Brogdon. It's about the years. Uh, it's about the years. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The last person I wanted to touch on real quick, Matt, is uh, Patrick Beverly. Real quick. Did you see on Twitter over the last week or so, he's been quote-teating a lot of people that have been asking him to return to Chicago. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's getting interesting. I'm surprised. So maybe he does have a legit interest in coming back to the Chicago and joining this Bulls team. I mean, he kind of did that with this Clippers team, like a young, exciting team that he could play veteran on. He did that with that Clippers team and made them pretty exciting but the only thing is, is Bulls fans need to realize he's coming in and he's going to be a starter if the Bulls sign him. He's not coming off the bench. So even if you do draft, say, a Darius Garland or Kobe White at seven, Patrick Beverly's going to be your starter. So that's that's the only hang up I see with Bulls fans saying that, oh, well, he could be a great rotation bench guy. It's like that's not what's going to happen if the Bulls sign him. He's going to start. So um, I would love him, though. I would love him. But he it brings me back to the conversation again with Malcolm Brogdon. How much does that actually push your ceiling? How how much higher does that push your ceiling in terms of long term with this team? Yeah. And I mean, there, you know, as far as the the tweet activity from Pat Bev recently, it's definitely been fun to see it kind of stir up some excitement around around Bulls Twitter and I, I I don't think it's only leverage play I do think that there is a part of him that likes the idea of coming and playing for his hometown Bulls being a veteran leader um, helping out in the backcourt where the Bulls do need help although in, in some ways he's not a super traditional point guard so as much as he would bring on defensive end, I like as far as like being your team's primary distributing point guard in the starting five, I, I, I don't see that being a great fit with Bev. But I, I do think, again, as I, as I said before, there is also, I think, some leverage at play. 
where Pat Bev is making it known, hey, there's there's a real cry for me to come help out my hometown Bulls among the fan base. Perhaps also the front office is interested. We haven't necessarily heard that in concrete you know, ways supported by sources or evidence, but if that interest is there, it could be Bev leveraging the Clippers to say, what I really want to do is stay here. And we unexpectedly, even after trading away Tobias Harris, gave the Warriors a fight early on in these playoffs, and let's let's build on what we've got here. But you got to make it worth my while, because if not, I'm wanted elsewhere. So peace. I think that's part of what he's been doing recently with his Twitter activity. I agree, too, and I think that he understands that he's got Shea Gil- Gilgis-Alexander right behind him, and he's going to be the point guard of the future for that Clippers team so I think he realizes that too um yeah the thing that to me and that when you said that like in terms of playing leverage man I just got some chills because it brings me back to another player that was trying to leverage a team before they signed with the Bulls do you know who I'm talking about just a couple years ago no <laughs> your favorite Bulls player of all time Dwayne Wade when he was leveraging the heat and said you oh, know what F what this I'm out of here oh yeah yeah no I've already blocked that out of my memory <laughs> thanks so thanks for that <laughs> oh my god did you see my, my boy big Dave from outsiders like uh at uh you know uh tag me on Twitter on some like article he found where Dwayne Wade having retired and like doing the grocery shopping for gab once or twice found out what the actual price of milk was and like he thought a carton of milk was twenty (laughs) dollars stop it are you serious swear to god dude and i just it made me so freaking mad oh my god i guess when you have that much money and you've got that much fame you don't have to do the regular people things right like shopping for groceries and come on man he's retired he got his farewell tour he's done why do we still need Dwayne wade in our headlines (laughs) oh my god well yes so patrick beverly i'd be excited about but i just uh I wonder if there would be any animosity there, any bad feelings if the Clippers said, you know what, fine, go to another team, and this is kind of the leverage play that he that he's mm-hmm. playing out. Or if it's just, you know what, I get it. I get what you guys are doing here. You're not gonna have enough money to sign sign me long term. You also have a point guard in the in the waiting that's gonna be the future of your team. So I get it. I'm gonna go find other opportunities. Maybe this is the best opportunity for him to get paid too. So uh, in, in terms of three point percentage, though, the last four years, Matt. attempts, 40%. 4.3 attempts, 38.2%. Yeah. 5.5 last year, 40%. And then this year, 3.6 at 39.7%. So he he can't, like, he is a knockdown shooter. He can be, Uh, which certainly the Bulls need in their point guard paired with Levine for those opportunities for them to play off the ball and Zach being a primary ball handler. And that's why it's, you know, frustrating uh, to see that that failed, uh, failed, uh, pairing of Levine and Dunn even though Dunn did you know knock up his three-point percentage a little bit this season but you know I think people people knock Bev for not being a a real shooter uh, and a real threat behind the three-point line when he absolutely is to and so that's not what I was referring to I just you know I don't think he's a great distributing true point guard in the way that I think the Bulls would like him to be Uh, whereas a player like we talked about earlier Kyle Lowry some player who you know is averaging in, in a way that seems effortless, 7.5, 8.5, uh, you know, flirting with nine assists a game. So I, that's what I would love to see for this Bulls starting five right now. But again, you can't ignore the fact that you need a knockdown shooter opposite Zach 
uh, to create some more space on the floor. And and Pat Beverly is that. He's Agree with that. Shooter. And I like what you said, too, about the assist numbers. Like, that's what I want to see most is a guy that can distribute but also can sort of play off the ball, too. Like, that's why I keep circling back to Matt Malcolm Brogdon. I feel like he would be such a good fit. Brogdon, right? He's he's the answer. He's the guy of all of our candidates that we've looked at who can really be both of those things. Right. He can run the point at times when you need him if, if Zach Levine's off the floor. And then when both of those guys are on the floor, Malcolm Brogdon can shift and sort of play that two guard, and which he did next to Eric Bledsoe this entire season. I think his breakdown was like 65% at shooting guard and like 10 or 15% at point guard and the rest were like mixed. But still, that's right. Uh, the only thing that you wouldn't get that you would get, you're going to get from Patrick Beverly is the defense. So the defense is definitely another weakness alongside Zach Levine that you're going to get with Patrick Beverly that you may not get with Malcolm Brogdon. It's not to say he's a terrible defender, but you may not get um, as good of a defender as Patrick Beverly is. But you know, you you weigh the advantages and disadvantages of both guys. And I think, like you said, I think Malcolm Brogdon is more as I talk this out seems like the fit. It's just. I wish he wasn't a restricted free agent, and I wish we didn't think he was going to be owed yeah. this much money. Which, That's uh, where it gets me caught up. It all comes down to dollars, man. Dollar, so, dollar bills, y'all. Does hopefully the Bulls use does. theirs uh, wisely this summer. But again, you, it all goes back to the dominoes, right? And the fact that. That's the other element to a Brogdon situation. If the Bulls do sign him to an offer sheet as a restricted free agent, the Bulls got to wait three days potentially for the Bucks to match that and have that money tied up while potentially other dominoes are falling. That's the other element that uh, could get could get dicey with a Brogdon offer sheet. That is summer. true. So we'll continue to talk about point guards and free agency and also the NBA draft as we continue on and kind of lead up to that. We're only about less than a month away from all of that going on. So I'm very, very excited, not only for these NBA finals, but also the draft and free agency as it comes up. But that's going to about do it here on Locked on Bulls. Thank you again to our sponsors, Hotels.com, Untuck It, and Group 6 Belts. Again, Untuck It is a sponsor of Locked On, the Locked On Podcast Network. If you are looking for a great Father's Day idea, their shirts are specifically designed to look great untuck it feel comfortable at work or on the weekend no tucking or tailoring required go to untuckit.com right now promo code nba to get 20 percent off group six belts is also a wonderful sponsor for our nba and our nfl channels here ultra lightweight with no holes no flap and it's a great father's day gift too so go to grip six and they have a special offer for our listeners so that's grip six.com slash lock l-o-c-k-e to get your special offer our last and final sponsor that we want to thank so much for today's episode is himalaya the podcast app that you should have downloaded right now listening to our shows himalaya they are personally curated playlists so if you love podcasts and you want to know what people are interested in and people maybe that are like-minded like you that like the nba that like sports whatever your interests are himalaya has personalized playlists for you so use the himalaya app as well as all the other places you can get our our podcast spotify Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Himalaya is the best place to go, though, so download the Himalaya app today. We're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com, and the Dash Radio app. On the Nothing Button, that channel, live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley, Bulls Nation. Have a wonderful day. We'll be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. I'm not sure. 
Locked On Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked On Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com.